Morning. Morning. Well, before we open our program, what we like to do is have a little song, A Merry Heart is Good Like a Medicine. And um, we hope that, uh, that you can learn this song and sing it often because you're going to get some endorphins from that, of which we will explain a little later on what endorphins are, for those of you who uh, may not know, and, um, and help you to understand uh, where, uh, but a broken spirit drives the bones. And so, shall we sing it first, or do you, do we have enough of you that know it that can sing right along with us? Well, today we're going to give them a little help because I have an overhead with the song on it. Oh, okay, good. And we're going to put the, put the, on the overhead. But before we get started, since we are Christians, we always like to open up our uh, program with prayer. So if you would just bow your head with us for just a moment, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of coming together today to learn more about these wonderful bodies that you have created. And Lord, we realize that you have the manual in order to maintain these bodies, and we pray now that you would give us that information today according to thy will. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. amen. Okay, let me just punch this in real quick. Oh my, that comes out nice. <laughs> Nice and bright so everybody can, can uh, see it clearly. Okay, let's begin. A merry heart Doeth good like a medicine Like a medicine Is a merry heart But a broken Well, um, I'd like to give uh, my testimony this morning and how I um, have regained my health through these eight true health principles and uh, God blessing me. And um, I know that others have regained their health, and I want to share some with you this morning who have. You know, um, before I begin, I'd like to congratulate you for coming to this, uh, these health meetings. And you know that each time you come to health meetings, you reinforce what you already know. And you know, sometimes we know things, we've learned things, but we're busy people today and they sort of get tucked away and we forget them. And so it helps you to remember, you know, what to do for... Uh, a healthy lifestyle and to feel good and isn't it nice to feel good I mean to feel like jumping up and springing out of bed in the morning how many of you feel like that like you just want to jump right out of bed <laughs> nobody <laughs> okay well do you know that there's some health principles and if you follow just one just one health principle that we're going to give you you are going to have more energy you're not going to feel so fatigued. And you know what it is? Anybody know what it is? Drinking water. You know, we forget that to drink water. And do you know that most of us don't even recognize thirst? I mean, a lot of times we eat between meals because we think we're hungry, and the truth is we're really thirsty. And um, so if you begin to eat, you know, just two or three times a day, you begin to recognize thirst. 
And um, then you can see, we need six to eight glasses of water a day. And um, that one health principle, if you follow it, is going to give you more energy. But we have a lot of health principles that we'd like to share with you. Now, unfortunately, we only have two more days here. And um, we are going to crowd a lot of things in a short span of time. And um, I hope we don't overload you, but um, we want you to hear some of the things that's going to help you to have more energy. And one of the things I like to share with you right off is my children, when they can come home to visit, we have six children, and um, we, they all are raised and are married and have children, and they say, now what's going on here, Mom? Every time we come home, you're getting younger every day and we're getting older. What's going on here? <laughs> I said, well, you better look at what you're eating and drinking and what you're doing in your lifestyle. And um, you know that when they recognize that you have so much energy, and here they are, younger. I mean, we have 13 grandchildren, and we have more energy than our grandchildren. They realize, you know, something is going on here with our, uh, with our lifestyle. And so we want to share those principles with you so that you can feel younger, look younger, retard the uh, aging process. Isn't that a wonderful thing to find out how to retard the age, uh, aging process? So anyway, I want to congratulate you for coming, and, um, and every time there's a health lecture in the area, go to it, because you're going to learn something, and it's going to reinforce something. And you know, we have new information coming out all of the time, because uh, nutrition is a vast subject. You could study it your whole lifetime and not touch on every point of it. Are you aware of that? And so it's good if you just keep coming. And then the other thing is it helps us to make changes. Now, no one knows why, but in groups we do better than one-on-one. -on -one. Isn't that amazing? And they know. Statistics show uh, we've kept a record. And those who come to like a live-in program and as a group, they make more lifestyle changes than if you're just working with someone one-on-one. -on -one. And, uh, but no one knows why. But one thing we do know is that changes don't come easy. For the, those of us who have preconceived thoughts and ideas and things that our mother has shared with us, and uh, sometimes, and most of the time, like my mother ignorantly taught me things about what would be a proper diet. And uh, she did the best that she could do with what she knew. And um, so it's good if you bring your children. See, when your children hear truth, they're much ready, more ready to make lifestyle changes than we as adults because they don't have all those preconceived ideas for one thing. And the other thing is, is that for some reason, children can seem to understand truth. And after they see some of the things and hear some of the things that we share with them, they're, they're willing to make lifestyle changes. And I think it's interesting, in one of the classes we went, we told them that, and uh, they brought their children, and there was one four-year-old boy, and he told his mother, he said, look, I don't want to eat that anymore. I don't want to eat any of that anymore. Four years old, making a decision like that. Because he, you know, common sense told him, if this does this, why am I going to be eating it? And uh, so it's just exciting to work in this work, and I really like to work with children because they do seem to understand and grasp it quicker and easier than adults. Now today we see a growing trend toward health and fitness. Have you noticed that? More and more people are interested in what to do about their health. And, 
And uh, we're aware, I mean, uh, it's on TV, it's in uh, the newspaper, like the newspaper article we have to share with you this morning. It's there, but you know, we just don't take time to stop and think about how much is really there. There's a little bit here and a little bit there, and if we don't conscientiously put it together, we're not really realizing what's happening in the animal kingdom and uh, what we should be doing to keep uh, it ourselves healthy. And more than that, to help uh, train others so that they can be healthy and happy. Now, um, I have some statistics here from America, but I have a few here from uh, the United Kingdom also. But let me share with you, um, even though people are more health-minded today and uh, seeking how to have a good health, every 30 seconds uh, someone in America is diagnosed with cancer, every 55 seconds uh, someone, uh, uh, every 55 seconds an American dies of cancer, that's 1,400 every day. And this year, 145,000 women, more than 145,000 women, will learn that they have breast cancer for the first time. And almost one-third of the men that die this year will die of colon or prostate cancer. Now, here in the United uh, Kingdom, uh, every three minutes, someone dies of a heart attack. And heart disease costs the United Kingdom four billion pounds a year, or more than four billion billion pounds a year. And these statistics go on. And so what is going wrong if everyone is trying to be more health-minded? What is happening? Uh, why are we having, why is disease going up and, um, and everyone getting all of these uh, diseases if we're more health-minded? The major causes of death and disability is related to the diet. And this includes coronary heart disease, diabetes, obesity, cancer, and um, other chronic diseases, hypertension, and so on. Seven out of 10 deaths are directly attributable to lifestyle. Now, what do we mean by lifestyle? If our parents enjoyed a high, rich, fat diet of um, cream and butter and those kind of things, we learned at a real early age to enjoy these things. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but have you ever seen a child who was raised without sugar in their diet, and the first time they were offered a piece of candy or a cookie, what they will do, if they've never had it, and say like, maybe you might catch one at four years old and you'll give it to them, they'll spit it out. They'll shiver. They, they know, you know, they didn't acquire a taste for that. And do you know how we acquire a taste for that? Mums give it to their children and they give it to them and they go, mmm, and that's good. And we teach them to enjoy it. Mmm, that's good. And they watch you, you know, and enough, and finally they agree, yes, this is good. And they are training their taste buds to believe that it's good. But if they haven't had any sugar and uh, a young child, and then all of a sudden you give them some uh, cookie, candy, or I think you call them biscuits, something like that, they'll shiver and they'll spit it out uh, sometimes. So, um, it's just in how we train our taste buds. Now, most of us have perverted taste buds. I know that I did, and some of us have more perverted than others, and I believe that mine was way out of line from what I've learned now. And I couldn't possibly eat what I used to and enjoy it. I was a sugar-holic, and if you're not a sugar-holic and never been, you don't even know what I'm talking about. 
but I loved sweet things. I was raised on them, and um, I ate them often, and uh, I felt deprived if I didn't have them, and uh, it's uh, pretty much like uh, an alcoholic sometimes. It's like, I've just got to have my sugar. And uh, people who are drinking a lot of cold drinks have this. It's um, a real problem today. And um, you know, in a cold drink, you, you get, depending on the size, you get anywhere from nine to 16 teaspoons of sugar in just a cold drink. And um, in America, they're drinking uh, 1,200. Every, uh, you know, this is counting everyone per capita. Uh, every person is, um, if they figure it out mathematically, is drinking 1,200 uh, cold drinks a year. Now, somebody's drinking more because I'm not drinking mine. And, um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are not drinking theirs. In Germany, they're saying that their youngsters in Germany are drinking 1,500 cans of cold drink a year. I think if you multiply that out just in that one item, how much sugar they're getting. So no wonder we become sugarholics. And, uh, it's a, a real problem, but once we learn and we begin to eat simple foods, you need some bridges to help you over to natural food, but you can retrain your uh, taste buds to come into line and enjoy the things that God has for us. And I wish I had, I brought a poster with me, but <clears throat> we didn't get here in time to put it up, but it gives you a, an idea of what God has for us, like in the Garden of Eden. We have every color, shape, size, and um, God created things to be sweet. And um, if we don't get a perverted appetite, we enjoy those things. And, um, and it's so pleasant. And now when my husband and I eat, we wonder, how did we ever eat that other food and think that it was good? You know, I mean, we were locked into this kind of food now. And we would really feel deprived if we couldn't have um, the good food that comes out of the Garden of Eden. Well, too much fat, too much sugar, salt, and refined foods are specifically linked with six of the ten leading causes of death. And we are indeed the most overfed, undernourished people that have ever lived on the face of this earth, especially in America. And, uh, but you're fast catching up, and uh, we've noticed that. You don't have as many overweight people here in the United Kingdom as we do in America, but uh, you're fast catching up. And um, your hypertension and everything is catching up with uh, what we are in America. Now, what's so beautiful about all these degenerative diseases that I've mentioned to you, they're all reversible. You know, have you ever heard that before? They're all reversible. And the easiest one to reverse is diabetes, adult onset diabetes. And we've seen many people be able to uh, regain their health, get off the insulin, and uh, come down, their insulin level come down into a nice safe level and, and their sugar in a nice safe level. And um, so it is possible, but you just have to apply some things. You can't just have the head knowledge, you actually have to do it. And um, what's so exciting about uh, cholesterol can come down. Now from the area we're in, um, the hospital and the doctors send all of their patients up there that have high cholesterol and uh, hypertension and those kind of things to our class because, and uh, most of them tell us, oh, I tried this and I tried this and I tried this, and this is the only thing that has worked. And what it is is whole foods as grown.
Nothing added and nothing taken away. By that I mean nothing refined added. So I'd like to share with you a story about a man that, uh, a doctor that I trained under. And um, he was a delightful man. I would have never guessed his age. And uh, halfway through the lecture, he would always stop and put us through some stretching paces and everything. And I couldn't help but notice how agile he was on his feet. I don't know how old I thought he was, but I never would have guessed that this man was 84 years old. And um, so he told us the story. He gave us his testimony. When he was 54, he had such angina pain, he could only walk a few steps and he'd have to rest and a few more steps and then rest because he'd be in so much pain. He went to his colleagues and he asked them to do a bypass surgery. Well, his colleagues said, no, you're too much of a risk. And so what they told him is they, they didn't even expect him to live out the week. And they told him this. You know what they did? They stole his hope. Don't ever let anyone steal your hope. No one knows how long you have to live. You know, sometimes uh, they will say, you have two years. And some people just obliged, and in two years they died. You know, they've lost their hope. And uh, so don't ever let anyone steal your hope. Now, they didn't expect this man to live uh, out the week, and he was 54, and I was meeting him when he was 84. So you see, they don't know, do they? No one knows how long you have to live. Only God knows that. But that's what they told him, and they told him to go home and get his things in order. And he did. He went home and got his things in order. He was quite depressed. And he had heard of an institution called Pritigan. How many of you know what Pritigan is? <coughs> Not very many. Pritigan is a live-in center, much like where we were, where you can learn preventative disease or prevention or correction of degenerative diseases. And um, he'd heard about it, and he said, well, what have I got to lose? And so he went. And he, I don't know how long he was there. He went through more than one session. But in a short time, he was walking five miles a day. And before he left there, he was walking 13 miles a day. Now remember, this was a man that could only walk a few steps. And they'd have to rest because of the pain. He was so excited, he went home. And he uh, shared with the doctors and went back to you know, share with them what he'd learned. And they said, yes, but you see, we have no proof. Well, he looked at him just dumbfounded. <laughs> he said, well, maybe you don't, but I do. And that man donated the rest of his life in teaching natural remedies and people how to regain their health. He was just a delightful man with a good sense of humor, and you learn to love him in a really uh, quick way. So that's one thing I wanted to share with you. And then I would also like to give my own testimony and that um, most of my life, and as a young person, I was sick. Um, I had lots of health problems. And remember, I was a sugarholic. I, um, my parents, we were basically raised on a farm. We had lots of uh, cream and milk and whipped cream, you know, and all the things that go with a farm and butter. And, and um, we just didn't eat very healthy at all. And um, we, we were a large family. and. Um, uh, we were left alone a lot, the children, and so basically we ate whatever we wanted to, whenever we wanted to. And um, I believe the only thing that saved my life is that on a farm you also have hard work, which would be uh, exercise, so I got that. So that got me out into the sunshine, and I got plenty of fresh air on this farm. And that's probably what saved my life, or I probably would have never made it until I found about a natural life. 
And um, because, see, you can, if you're outside and in the fresh air, you can handle some of these things more than someone who's at a desk job or, you know, confined in the house in a city, in a crowded city. And um, I probably would not have made it if I had lived in those conditions as a young person. But anyway, I sort of limped through life, and um, I also was a gourmet cook, um, guaranteed to kill you in a short time. <laughs> and I almost did kill myself and my family uh, before I learned these things. But uh, some of us have to go through some really hard knocks before we really are ready to listen to a better way. And um, anyway, I, I did have cancer. I had breast cancer. I had a mastectomy. And when they did the surgery, it was um, already in the lymph nodes. And so they told me that uh, once it's in the lymph nodes, it's in the system. So they told me I had to do um, six months of chemotherapy and five years of tamoxifen. Tamoxifen is a light chemo they give ladies with breast cancer. And um, by then, I'd studied health a lot. You know, from the first cancer cells begin to multiply until the doctor diagnoses anywhere from 8 to 12 years. And uh, because then, by then, I was already on a, a healthy lifestyle, they thought that maybe I could have even been involved with more years. But um, they were telling me that I needed to take these things. And by then, I knew enough about health that I knew if I did that, I'd go to bed and never get out. So I had a decision to make. And you know, it's hard. We often say, look, if I had that, I would never do this, and I would do this, and we don't know what we'd do in a crisis. And I had always said, if I had cancer, I wouldn't take chemotherapy. But when you have a doctor standing there telling you you got six months to live, boy, it's a whole different story. You know, you're really, you're intently listening to him. And um, so we shared, uh, I shared with him that I, I didn't want to do that. This is what I wanted to do. He shook his head at me and he said, I don't think you understand. He said, I'm going to give it to you straight. We grade from one to four, and you're a high three. And he said, I really think that's probably already in your bones. And uh, several other places that he mentioned. And we were sitting there in his office. This was tremendous stress. And I turned and looked at my husband, and he looked like someone had hit him over the head with a board. I mean, he was just so stunned. And um, I could hardly wait to get out of there because it was all doom and gloom to me. And in the car on the way home, I said, well, what do you think? He said, look, this one, you're on your own. You need to go to God with this because, you know, if I say this, then down the line somewhere, if this happens, you know, and if I say this, then down the line, are you going to wonder, should I have done this? And so he said, you, you need to go to God on this one. And, of course, he was praying continually. And um, so I came, I had to look faith, death right in the face, and I had to come to the conclusion that is, yes, if I was going to die, because, you know, I'm going to die someday anyway, maybe, maybe I'll be translated. Who knows? I would like to be one of the 144,000, but... Um, with that thought in mind, I thought, well, if I do die, would I rather lose my hair and be sick, vomiting, and in bed, you know, or would it, and maybe prolong the, the agony, or would I rather have more of a productive life 
you know, I just had to make that decision. So I said, no, I'd rather go this way. And by then, see, I, in my life, I've had so many surgeries. I've had everything taken out possibly can be taken out. And um, many things taken out that I probably didn't need taken out. And so by then, I just felt I didn't want to go through any more of that. And some of the things that I'd heard sound like, like I said, um, a science fiction movie of what you'd have to go through. And I just didn't want to go through that. And I didn't believe the Lord wanted me to go through that. And so with that, I began to apply. And very, see, when you're having a reversal of degenerative diseases, many people think, oh, I'll eat very good for a month, and then I'll reward myself with these things, and then I'll eat very good for a month. You can't have a reversal if you're doing that. You have to go totally and 100% if you have a degenerative disease. And oftentimes, I have people come to me and say, well, I eat pretty good, you know. I have this problem and this problem. I eat pretty good. I just eat a little bit of this and a little bit. You can't do that. You've got to go 100% if you want a reversal. Now, if we're talking about a young child who has never really hurt their health, they might be able to handle a few things that somebody um, that hasn't had a gross diet. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, they're doing a prevention rather than a reversal because I had to go totally with no oil at all, none. And uh, a lot of people think, oh, well, what could you eat? Well, I sort of thought that way when I first began too. What will I eat? Because, you know, when you stop to think about it, we put oil in everything. And oil, tomorrow we're going to be talking on fat, and I want to share with you some things about uh, these different uh, oils and which one is the best and, and uh, how to use them. And so I decided to do that, and um, I turned down the, um, the medication. And um, then about, I'd say about two or three years after out from my surgery, I learned that tamoxifen, I mean, you know, that is a harmful drug, has a lot of harmful side effects, it's a light chemo, that soybeans do the same thing as tamoxifen. Can you imagine that? How shocked I was when I sat at the First International Congress on Vegetarianism and heard them come out with this report. And it's quite formal in the way they do these tests and the results of them. And a doctor from the audience addressed the platform and he said to this uh, table of scientists and said, look, if soybeans do the same thing as tamoxifen, why are we giving our patients tamoxifen that have such harmful side effects? Now, I believe, I believe that he knew the answer, but he asked that question for the benefit of all of us in the crowd. And um, Dr. Campbell said, listen, if you people think you know anything about persecution, you know nothing until you begin to bring out the truth about what natural foods will do as far as healing. And um, so now, uh, since then, I shared with you yesterday or the other day that I've been to the soybean symposium where they're using it, soybeans not only for healing and prevention of cancer, but they're using it for thyroid disease, kidney disease, atherosclerosis, lowering the cholesterol, many, many things that they are doing. And that's why we say you need to put soybeans into your uh, lifestyle. And those of you who are suffering from 
um, hot flashes, ladies. Uh, just remember, those ladies in the Asian countries don't even have a word to translate it because they've never experienced it until they get on the Western diet. And so, since we've been doing these classes, and we've shared that we've seen people lower their cholesterol, we've seen them get off insulin, bring down their high blood pressure, get off of, um, I mean, um, it come down into a nice safe level. We've seen people, well, we've seen one young man who was told he needed to go on a dialysis machine, and he was having kidney failure, heart failure. He hadn't worked for three years, and after on this program, in 18 short days, he was back to work. Imagine how thrilled this young man was. This man was raised on it. His breakfast was like um, uh, Coke and donuts. And I mean, you know, he destroyed his a life very early. And um, so we've seen many people regain their health. And so people say, well, you can't come right out and say this will heal you. Well, maybe you can't, but I can say this. It healed me. <laughs> and I can give my own testimony because that's what happened to me. And so if you can remember the word New Start, you have the first letter of each one of these health principles that we teach in our class. And I'd like you to say them with me. The first one being nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, air, rest, and trust in God. Now, um, tomorrow we're going to talk some on fat, and then I also want to give a lecture on sunshine. Now, we have touched on nutrition, and uh, we're going to touch, just touch, because, you know, how much can we pack in these few short hours that we have with you? But I think uh, it's time that we understood a little bit about some of the uh, myth about sunshine and um, to understand. And so I chose that for a lecture and tied in with fat because the two of them are tied together. And um, I'm, uh, I'm sort of working in the dark with you because usually when we do a class like this, uh, um, we know where you're coming from, what are your interests, and what are your health problems, so that we can sort of zero in on it. But by you not filling anything out in just a, such a short time in a weekend, I don't know. So you may want to just ask a few questions at this time. We just have a few minutes for that. Anyone want to ask any questions that maybe, if we don't have the answer, we have the doctors that we can go to, and uh, yes. Yes. Yes, thank you. Um, this book here, Leaves from the Tree of Life, they are selling it on the back book. Uh, myself and another lady put together. It's a manual with the eight uh, uh, sessions that we teach in here. And a lot of this information is from the Second International Congress on Vegetarianism. And um, the recipes that we use. And um, there's also a sheet in there how to convert, you know, into the measurements that you use. And um, it's just, uh, I feel like it's a very valuable tool in helping you because it's true that her, her question was, you know, uh, when you become a vegetarian and you begin, like I did it wrong because I didn't know how to become a vegetarian. All I knew is that I wasn't going to eat meat anymore. But what I did is I began to eat cheese and put it in everything. And cheese is uh, very harmful. Cheese, 
In fact, at the Second International Congress on Vegetarianism, they showed that cheese was leading out in the cause of cancer, uh, these aged cheese. And uh, so they have lots of problems, and um, it causes anything from migraine headaches to cancer. And many times, if you have health problems, just by eliminating that out of your diet, you can be helped tremendously. And um, so that's what most people do when they become vegetarians, is they begin to put things in their diet, thinking they're replacing things. And um, what it is, is that you, uh, we're going to show you some things that would be bridges and also um, some things so that you won't miss. Like if you're used to cheese, for me to tell you that you, know, you can't just cut it out, can you? You have to have something to replace it. And so the motto of our class is choose something better. We never ask people just to give something up. We say choose something better. Because you know, if you ask somebody to give something up, all of a sudden they begin to be deprived and then they begin to think, you know, it's like if you say, well, you can't have any water for the next few hours, all of a sudden you're going, I'm so thirsty. You may not have even thought of having water, but you plant the idea there in that mind. So tell yourself, I choose something better. And if you do fail, you know, ask God to forgive you and start right there, right from that moment. Just, again, choose something better because oftentimes, and ladies have a very bad habit of doing this. They say, oh, I blew it, so I just might just as well give up. You know, don't do that. That's so the devil would like you to think, oh, I blew it and give up, and so you go back to eating that way. If you fail, say, okay, I blew it. Forgive me, Lord, but give me the victory and go on. And uh, don't give up and, um, to regain your health. So I would recommend this book first. There's a lot of good books on the uh, table. We have one back there that I recommend very highly, and it's Whole Foods for Whole People. And uh, I've recommended this all over the country, this book, and I never even was aware that um, where I work, the doctor, his daughter wrote that book. I didn't learn that until, uh, what, about nine months ago, something like that. And uh, yet I've been, but I really think that book is good. I'm not recommending it just because his daughter wrote it because I didn't even know who the lady was that wrote it. And I've been recommending it now for a number of years. Another one, if you are a gourmet cook and you want uh, recipes to fill in for a gourmet cook, it would be um, Joy of Cooking Naturally. And there's some wonderful recipes in there that would help you to replace them. Any other questions? Yes? You was mentioning how when cancer starts, we think up to is to be diagnosed. Correct. Is there, a way, is there any common symptoms you can diagnose it yourself? No, uh, that's the sad thing is you, sometimes you can feel pretty good. And with me, the only thing is with me is that I had a lot of headaches. But of course, you know, the doctor didn't know why I was having headaches. No one knew I was having. And by the way, let me just mention this. Mammograms. I don't think we should be taking mammograms because I'll tell you why. I, was, I went and took mammograms and they showed negative. Now when I went in there, they told me this. Oh, it'll pick up even a little speck. You know, so it makes you feel pretty confident, you know, when they say, oh, there's nothing there. Except I had a lump. You know, but see, it made me not pay attention to the lump because they said it would pick up, pick up just a little speck. So when they did the surgery and I went back in, they wanted to do a mammogram on the other side. I said, now look, 
You people told me this would pick up a little speck, and now you're telling me that I had a huge cancer that had been there for all these years, and none of the mammograms picked it up. They said, oh, well, see, it's only about 85% proof. Well, do you think I believe that now? I mean, maybe it'll pick it up, and maybe it won't. It didn't pick it up for me. And, see, mammograms can, you're getting a dose of radiation. So, you know, and then the other thing is you look at it like this, now they don't even want to give me a tiny little bit of radiation to check and see if I have a cavity or something. So they know, they know that this is giving you a zap of uh, radiation. But they're trying to make us believe that it's not harmful. And uh, you know, if, you know, I could see if you're gonna take a little dose of something that's bad, if it's gonna work, but if it's not gonna work and not gonna tell you anything, why take the little zap of something that's bad? It just doesn't make sense to me. Anyone else have uh, any comment? Yes? Sugars, um, we know that we find sugar is bad for you. Yes. How about raw cane sugar and molasses? Are they just as bad or are they better or what? Well, no, uh, uh, sugar, white sugar is not in the category as molasses. However, um, or honey, because you see, um, they do have some nutrients. Honey has some nutrients, but you could overdo on honey also. And molasses has uh, good nutrients in it. And uh, in fact, uh, some of the health educators believe that molasses, I'm talking like a, a tablespoon or something like that, ha is a good tonic that you might want to take. But, um, to overdo on it, you could overdo on that as well. Um, but you see, when the health educators don't agree, there's a way you can find out whether it's correct or not. Maybe not every little minute detail, but what I do is I go to the Bible. And see, they're saying, well, sugar and honey, are, the two are just as bad, so you, know, you might just as well eat them both, because they're saying, you know, you might just do it, well, eat your white sugar. That is not true, because the Bible says a little bit of honey. So that's where I go for my answer, is the Bible. And the same way as now that they know all this information about uh, nutrition and that uh, the government has brought the, diet, the fat down to a new level, to stay within that, you have to throw out nuts. But the Bible says nuts, doesn't it? So I don't agree with them. And they have these institutions that, uh, that live in ones that they're cutting people so low on fat. And what I found out is that there is a type of fat that we do need. And we'll be sharing that with you tomorrow. So when they're saying you have to throw out all fat to stay under the new dietary laws, um, then um, I don't believe them because the Bible says we can have some nuts. And so, uh, and there's half of them say you can and half of them say you can't. So I go along with the ones that say you can. But you can overdo it on nuts. Yes? Uh, going back to the Bible, when the Bible says um, going to the land of milk and honey, what is the milk it's talking about? Okay, uh, it's talking about uh, plenty. But listen, um, I want you to know right now, I never have stood up in front of anyone and said that God didn't give permission to use animal uh, clean for flesh food. He did give that permission. But what we have to always remember, there's two reasons why he gave the uh, permission for it. And it was because of um, shortening man's life and because there was no vegetation. 
and we know that it did shorten man's life. Now, when you come to milk, see, the thing is, folks, what our, what my mother and father could do and get away with is one thing, but we are the last generation. We have never lived in the times we're living in with the animals so diseased. And if the animal is diseased, like it's on the front page of your newspaper today, what about the byproducts from the animals? So there's a time for everything, and we're in the time to where we can learn a better health without using those things. And there's, you know, millions of people all over this world who are vegetarians and get along totally well without animal products. And if they're so diseased, and they cause heart disease and uh, atherosclerosis and all of these things, why not choose something better? Especially if it tastes good, why not? Just choose something better. Yes? For lowering cholesterol, they showed at the Second International Congress, there's four things that you'd want to do right away into your diet, implement into your diet. And the first one is oats, apples, beans, and barley. And in that order for hauling out the cholesterol. And beans are an excellent food with excellent fiber and helping bring down the cholesterol. You might even want to drink charcoal. Do you know charcoal? Yes, you might want to have a drink of charcoal uh, for a few days. Um, my husband would be glad to share a little bit more with you on that. And, um, and walking. Walking does the best thing for bringing down cholesterol. And then, of course, not putting it in, you know, by using animal products. It's pretty hard to bring your cholesterol down if you're still putting it in. So, um, and I have a sheet I can give you on that. It might help you out. If um, I'll bring it tomorrow, I'll try to remember to bring it tomorrow. Anyone else? If not, I think uh, um, I don't. The reason, Ray, could you help me out? I'm holding uh, because I'm waiting for the trays to come. And um, is Jason there? He was going to be the runner for me to begin to bring these things. Okay, um, now, is there anyone here that would like to come up and make a recipe? I mean, I'm going to stand right beside you and tell you exactly what to do. Who would like to do that? Would you like to do it? No. <laughs> Whoever, uh, those who volunteer are the ones that really get the most experience. Good. Okay. And uh, you get, see, then I'm right here, and if you have a question, then you can, if, if you go home and you fix it, I'm not there if you have a question. Okay, we're going to go in the back and wash our hands, and um, uh, maybe you could take this young lady with you in the back to wash her hands. Uh -huh. And uh, Jason, uh, do you have the trays ready, Jason? Could you go see and bring them? We're running a little late here already. Anyone else have any other question they'd like to ask? Yes. Um, I want to be done vegan diet since January, but I hope my mom. Excuse me. I what? visit my mom every month, and then she cooks the meal. If she puts just a little bit of margarine in my vegetables, should I reject it and say I'm a vegan, or still continue eating? Remember, we have to be wise to win them over to Christ. Okay. Now let me answer. You're absolutely right. Thank you for that. Well, you see, 
there's two ways you want to think about this. I got on a healthy program. I didn't know I had uh, cancer. Now, had I known I had cancer, I wouldn't have taken one bite, whether it was home or not. That's one thing you want to think about. And the other thing is I had high cholesterol and I couldn't bring it down and they told me that I probably had this, I was inherited, my mother already had bypass and my father died of cancer and so I probably had inherited that. Okay, so what I would do is I didn't want to have a problem with my family. It was easier to eat it than to argue with them and they didn't like the way I ate and so at home, I had a very good, clean lifestyle, but when I'd go down there, and I never ate anything gross, but I'd eat a little bit of like what you're saying, but it was just enough to keep my cholesterol up to where it never came down, because the moment I found out I had cancer, I wouldn't take one bite off my diet, my cholesterol came down in one month in a nice, safe level, and to where my, my cholesterol level, my husband, his is 133, well, you wouldn't know, because you don't go by the measurements we do, but his is like a young man of 16 years old, and mine's just a little bit more than that. Yes? If you If you had high cholesterol and your arteries were already beginning to clog up, like mine were, then you have to go totally 100% or you don't get a reversal. You may not be getting worse. I mean, you know, you may not be packing on at a, at a rapid pace, but you cannot have a reversal. So... Oh, I believe that every one of us should have our blood checked to see if we have high cholesterol. And um, I think we should be aware of, of what our health is. But uh, once you're on a healthy lifestyle, I'm not suggesting that you have to run off to keep, you know, checking your blood. I mean, I, that's what they wanted me to do, but I don't check my blood. I mean, it's not going to go up. I mean, I believe. You know, I believe what I'm teaching, and uh, and I know I've seen seen it happen so many times. I don't have to run to the doctor to see if my cholesterol came up because I didn't need anything to bring it up. You see what I'm saying? So, yes. Uh, that uh, would be an isolated case. Uh, she's saying that she has a hard time drinking water. Now, my mother, bless her heart, uh, my mother, she doesn't like water. And when she drinks water, she gets one of those little tiny juice glasses, you know what I'm talking about, and she holds her nose <laughs> and drinks it. <laughs> well, I can see it in the city if you don't have a water purifier because there's a lot of chemicals in there. But uh, I keep saying, Mom, you know, get a water purifier. But she doesn't like water, and so, you know, she'd rather drink coffee, you know, so. I've tried all different types. I've tried different types of water. I've tried all different types of water. I've tried all different types of water. Yeah, but see, it's an isolated case, so. I'm trying to make sure that I'm getting enough water. You can't. If you're not drinking it, you're not getting enough water. How about if I put something in it, I can seem to drink it better. Because I don't know what it does to the water. Like what? Put what in it? Like juice. No. I know I'm not getting the same. No. Well, plus the fact you're keeping, uh, my husband is going to show you what's happening to your digestion. And, uh, but uh, you might want to try a little lemon juice, but uh, to do it continually, I don't even think that would be a good idea. But, yeah.
-hmm. Okay, uh, we're ready for the first demonstration. Well, one of the most common things that uh, we try to encourage people to get off of uh, basically is animal byproducts, and one of those are butter. And uh, many people shift into margarine, but we'd like to show you something even better than margarine because it has no chemicals in it. Everything that you see here is natural, and when you taste it, I tell you, you're going to be surprised because it's going to smear like butter, it's going to taste like butter. It turns out fantastic. Now, remember, anytime you have a recipe, that has nuts, you always want to put the nuts and the water in first and blend it thoroughly so it's nice and smooth, see, before you put anything else in. Okay, you can take that off. What's your name? Jennifer. Okay, Jennifer, you want to take that off and put the nuts in and also the water. What are the nuts? The nuts are almonds. Oh. And, uh, <clears throat> They're blanched almonds, and what they, uh, if you can't find the blanched almonds, you just take them and boil some water, pour it over them, and then uh, in just a couple of minutes, this, this outside just slips right off, and so you got blanched almonds. It's no real problem. Okay, let's bring that up there. How many of you have blenders? Have blenders? Uh, it really pays sometimes to have a nice, strong blender, let me tell you. Because uh, your, your, the consistency uh, usually turns out a lot smoother. And uh, of course, you know, if you've been a vegetarian a long time, if it's a little bit coarse, you don't pay any attention to that. But if you're just making the uh, transition, sometimes the smoother and the nicer it is, and the more it looks like butter, the better it is. Okay, is it, is it nice and smooth? Is it, does it have... Um, Okay, it looks pretty good. Okay, now let's put in the other condiments. We got here squash. We're going to put in squash. Now squash gives it that color. So let's know the squash and uh, the yeast and the salt. I beg your pardon? Okay, squash. Now you may call it pumpkin here. I don't know, do you? This is what we call uh, summer squash is what we call it. The little round one, it looks like a bell. And uh, we usually cook it. You can boil it or you can boil it in or bake it in the oven and then uh, after it's done we usually use it to make color and we usually make uh, scrambled tofu uh, tofu souffle and let me tell you it's absolutely delicious and uh, we use that to give it color as well but it also gives it good flavor you can see it's already changing its color <clears throat> okay now let's put in the um, Let's put in just a little of this, about half, and blend it, and then put the other half in again later. Now, this is, um, uh, let's see, what are, they, what are they using this time? This is cooked polenta. Now, polenta is like a, a coarse cornmeal, is what it is. It's not corn flour. It's like a corn grit. It's a little bit more coarse. And uh, we find that it works much better than using cornmeal or, uh, or any other type of corn. Uh, no, we'll put that in after we blend that. Is it cooked? Yes, this is cooked. And there's, uh, I would like to stress this on cooking your grains. Uh, we have a lot of people that have a lot of aches and pains and food sensitivities, and they cannot find out what the problem is. And it usually boils down to one thing. The grains are not cooked long enough. Because, you see, the body will not simulate it. 
and uh, like it will fruit and vegetables. And if the grains aren't cooked, what you're going to have is you're going to have a lot of food sensitivity. And these little spores get in the brain and in the joints and you start having aches and pains. Okay, uh, you can put the rest of that in and blend that up. And so we want to encourage you folks, if you're going to cook grains, especially wheat, be sure you wash it off first and cook it. Well, uh, crock pot's the best. How many of you have crock pots? We usually put any kind of grains or beans in the crock pot, let them cook overnight. And uh, you'll find that the grain will cook uh, plenty long by cooking it overnight. It'll break it down to where your body can digest it and simulate it. Okay, now while it's running, just take the top off and take the position. Now I'm going to briefly. Yeah, he says, what about a pressure cooker? It's excellent. Pressure cooker will even cook it in half the time because the, the pressure and the steam is held in and it'll cook the grain much quicker. Where if you had it on the stove, it might take uh, three, a wheat should be cooked like three hours at least. And uh, where in a pressure cooker, it may be an hour and a half to two hours. So a pressure cooker is much better than that, than uh, cooking it on the stove. Okay, how's that though? Okay, did they give us a jar to put that in? Um, I need a, uh, I'd like to have a clear dish if, I, if, they, if they would, please. So I could uh, pour it out. Yes, uh, the pressure cooker would be ideal for that. If you don't use a crock pot, we'll use a pressure cooker. But uh, remember, even oatmeal, oatmeal needs to be cooked longer. Some people put it on the stove 15 minutes and put it in a bowl. And uh, believe it or not, friends, this is causing a lot of problems. I would say even oatmeal should be cooked 45 minutes or so. And if that's the problem, you say, well, it'll just dry up. We'll just put more water in it. When you, where if you've been mixing two to one, just put maybe two and a half to one or something of that sort. Okay, you can see it has a, okay, that's good enough. You can see it has a nice runny consistency, but now what this will do is when we put it in the refrigerator, it'll, it'll become solid, uh, more or less like butter, and it'll smooth out just like butter. You're gonna get a chance to taste this at the uh, lunchtime. Uh, yes, yes, you could, uh-huh. Okay, now I'm just going to briefly give you what the, uh, the ingredients are on here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, I would like you to know that all these uh, recipes are in that blue book that she was talking about that we're going to be demonstrating. But I'm going to give you the recipe here. In fact, all the lectures are in that, that book. And for anybody that would like to give cooking classes themselves, it also has an outline in there on how to give cooking classes if you would like to. Okay, <clears throat> but you want to ask, we have an, another teacher's type manual that slips right in. It's just a small thing. Okay, now here's the recipe. Um, one and a half cup of cooked polenta. One cup of boiling water. One quarter cup of blanched almonds. One quarter cup of cooked squash, they call it winter squash, or I don't know what you would call that. You call it pumpkin? Okay. Um, and uh, let's see, one tablespoon of lemon juice. You see, when you mix lemon juice with nuts, it, uh, it makes it gel. 
a little bit better. It makes it thicken up. And uh, one and a half teaspoon of salt. One tablespoon of food yeast. Now, that's not like baking yeast. That's uh, nutritional yeast. That gives it a, a better flavor. Bread uh, Nutritional yeast is basically what we use. Yeast flakes. You call them yeast flakes here. Okay. Yeast flakes. Um, see, one eighth of a teaspoon of one of two different uh, herbs, marjoram or rosemary. Marjoram or rosemary. And remember, always put the nuts in and the water first and the liquids to blend it up nice and smooth because if you don't, you'll have a lumpy, lumpy butter, chunks of nuts, okay? Okay, is there any questions about that one? Blanched almonds. Uh huh. How long what? Okay, now this is a neat thing. You, I wouldn't keep it over five, uh, between six, seven days. But when you see that it's not getting eaten up before the week, I'll tell you a wonderful thing to do with it. You can take and use it to, to um, put in your foods. Like if you're making carrots, you might want to put some in there and, as you're cooking it. And it uh, gives it a nice flavor. Uh, you can use it to uh, put in soups, to flavor soups. It can actually be a flavoring for you. You can use it as a flavoring as well as a butter. <clears throat> and tahini is another nice thing that you can use for that. Yes? They're in the shops for about six, six weeks or something like that. Okay. Okay, this is what we do. We buy two or three of them or maybe more, depends on how long they're going to be there. We boil them all up, and then we take and clean them out and put them in something and freeze them. We put them in regular measurements, little tiny things in measurements, put them in the freezer, and when we want one, we just take it out, and it's already measured, put it in. And uh, <clears throat> that's the way you can uh, preserve those things. So in the wintertime, you can have those things at your fingertips that you can't get in the summertime. So that's uh, preparation ahead. Polenta is the name of it. Oh, yes, we, that's where we got this here. Yes, we, we received it. I mean, we bought this here. So you do have it. Uh, if, we, what, if we couldn't get it here, we wouldn't uh, recommend it. We'd recommend something else. And uh, I think that you can make uh, cheese also out of rice, brown rice as well as polenta, but we use the polenta. Yes, in that recipe, uh, in a cheese recipe that calls for polenta, you can use rice and you can use millet. It changes the consistency a little bit, but it gives it a nice flavor. And Different. you want to use the uh, brown rice because, you see, most of the vitamins, the bases of all vitamins, basically come from brown rice. And so you want to use brown rice at every opportunity because you will get a substantial amount of B vitamins out of that. Now, I want to show you a cheese recipe that we made. This one would be like uh, a jack cheese, and um, I'm sorry it's not in the shape that you would buy cheese, but I just couldn't find the right, you know, the dish. I don't know how your cheese looks over here either, and I didn't have a chance to go to the store and find out what your cheese looks like, but this is um, uh, just one of the bowls that I could find to put it in, and um, I want to cut it because I want you to see uh, kind of the consistency that... You see, it has sort of a rubbery, you know how cheese has sort of a rubbery, 
it has it in there. You have to use Ames gelatin if you want a slicing cheese or a cheese to take the place of, um, like for a grilled cheese sandwich or something like that. Uh, we have another one. Do you have the really yellow cheese over here? Okay, we have one that we're going to serve you like that. And then this would be like a jack cheese. In America, jack cheese is very popular. In Australia, believe it or not, all of their cheese is this color. They have no orange cheese. So when I made orange cheese, they're going, what is this? <laughs> and they didn't want to eat it because, you know, already they have the eye association. We eat with our eyes, believe it or not. And so we have these ideas of what it's supposed to look like and what it's going to taste like. And if it doesn't look like what we think, then we don't even want to taste it. And so um, someone can take this back all of these things, they keep about a week. But if you leave them set out a long time, you know, they're not going to keep a week. You know, in other words, when we serve them, we put them right back in the refrigerator. And uh, if you're getting close to the end of the week, just go ahead and put them like a cheese like that. If you had a little bit left, you could put it in vegetables to cream some vegetables and make them so tasty. Or any kind of entree, you could put them in. I do butter, uh, mayonnaise cheese, any of those. If I'm getting towards the end of the week and I didn't use it, I just put it in some of those things and it just makes them so tasty. All right, who's the next one? Yes. Could you freeze this cheese? Now, you, a lot of the cheese you can freeze and then it will grate really nice. You know, if you have a recipe to you want to grate, you can. The butter, if you freeze it, what you must do is put it back on the stove, heat it, and back in the blender or it'll be a different consistency and you won't like it. But you can freeze it. So in other words, it makes two uh, small bowls. What, what you could do is eat the one and keep one in the freezer. But always remember, you got to put it back on the stove, heat it up, and put it back in the blender for a few minutes and uh, then it'll be, come back to the consistency. Yes, I believe you're going to be able to get Ames gelatin through uh, Richard. Um, uh, I guess they have a health food store. I haven't seen it yet. Is there a health food store right here on the grounds? or Where? No, Richard, I think Richard is going to carry a supply of it. Is he here? Richard or Laura? All right, cooking polenta. It's one... Two, four. One cup of polenta to four cups of water. And listen, the best way to do that is get a crock pot. Every lady needs two crock pots, one for beans and one for grains, going all the time. And then all you got to do is put the rest of your food with it, and cooking is so simple. And yes, and let me share this with you. Those, especially those who work, you need to have crock pot. That's all there is to it, or, or a slow cooker, or whatever you call them. Now, this is one thing that we found. This is a new information that's out, is that we do not cook our grains long enough. You see, we knew we had information that cook your grains two to three hours, and somehow we've forgotten that. And you know what they're finding today? Scientifically, they're showing that these uh, starches in the a grain, our body cannot handle them and they're lodging into the joints. So if you're eating a, a good diet and you're still having joint pain, it could be because you're not cooking your grains long enough. 
And uh, also, they get, it passes over from the intestine into the bloodstream, and then it goes to the brain, and they're finding tiny little spears in the brain, and they're connecting it with this uh, starch in the, uh, the protein in the, uh, the grain that, uh, uh, that our body can't break down the molecules of that. And, uh, and they're connecting it with Alzheimer's disease as well as some other things. So cook your grains. And like polenta needs to be cooked two or two, three hours. Yes. And uh, in the book, it'll give you the new uh, times of cooking grains. Yes? Are you saying that we shouldn't eat raw porridge? Raw porridge? No. We shouldn't be eating raw porridge. No. And I think here you eat a lot of that, don't you? Muesli or something. Yeah. Yeah. No. And uh, the, also, some of these food allergies are coming from that, but just not cooking your grains enough. And uh, see, you can eat corn. It's an immature grain, so it's different. The starch hasn't, you know, it, it yeah, it isn't, uh, it isn't harmful. Our body can digest it. But once it's in the grain, you know, and like the, the hard corn, that has to be cooked two to three hours. Cornmeal, polenta, um, even oatmeal. Uh, oatmeal doesn't have to be cooked as long because, see, the way oatmeal is processed, it's cooked a little bit when you get it. So the, the less you have to cook your oatmeal, you know, you see on the boxes, but uh, regular rolled oats should be cooked about 90 minutes. Rice, um, I can't remember exactly. Could somebody look that up for me in the blue book, how long to cook rice? Yes. Yes. Yes, and another thing let me share with you is when you brown grains, that chemical reaction takes place when you can see the brown on the grains. So granola is not going to fit in the same uh, class as uh, a porridge. And that's another reason why we probably were counseled to eat more of the harder. Yes. Oh yes, and uh, the best kind, now I don't know what you have here in this country, but in America, the only one I can recommend to you is Hanes Sea Salt, and I believe you can get it here. I think we got it here last time when we were here. It's the only one that doesn't have aluminum in it, or how do you say aluminum here? Aluminum. <laughs> anyway, well, whatever. And. Um, um, it has a few little additives that we don't like, but see, if you're buying sea salt in the bulk, it has aluminum in it. If it'll pour, it has aluminum in it. So the best one is probably rock sea salt. But see, then it doesn't have the iodine, so, you know, Hanes sea salt is really the only one that has everything without the aluminum that I can recommend, that I know of. But you just go to your store in a health food store and they'll work with you on it because they know when you begin to learn this information, they, listen, these people, they want to supply you with what you, and if you don't know and you just go in and take anything, that's what you're going to get. But if you go in and they don't have it and you keep saying, right, this is what I want, this is what I want, and enough people say it, they're going to get it and, and give it to you. Now, I want to ask you, does anyone know, do you have silken tofu here? You do? Because uh, that, some of the recipes we want to do with silk and tofu because it has that really nice, um, smooth 
blend to it and uh, make some of the recipes nice, but we couldn't find it, and so we did the best we could. And so some of these recipes may not taste exactly like they would have if you used silken tofu, but you can do whatever. At least it shows you that it's versatile and that you can change it around. Now the next one we're going to do is like a pimento cheese. Two to three Three hours? Two to three hours for brown rice. Thank you. Pardon me? Uh, the best way is in the oven. And uh, there's a recipe in this book, how to do rice in the oven. And it's wonderful. Yes. Um, listen, um, a, a slow cooker is good. And um, like the Oriental people, they like a sticky rice, and they're going to get it if they get it in a, um, if you cook it in a slow cooker. If you don't like sticky rice, what you do is dextrinize it, and then it will always turn out fluffy. And we cooked some, uh, um, Laura purchased a slow cooker the other day, and we cooked rice in it, and it turned out just wonderful. It just cooked it just perfect, didn't it? And so you can try that, yes. Two to three hours. So I think we cooked it three hours the other day. Yeah. You use a little more water. But anyway, there's a nice recipe for the oven. And those of you, how many of you have a time bake oven? Hardly nobody. My. Well, they're the best thing because, you know, you can just set the timer and, you know, go. a what? Automatic. Yeah. How many have an automatic oven then? Oh. Yeah, a few more had it. <laughs> okay, the next thing I'm going to do is pimento cheese. And this pimento cheese, you're going to get to taste. We're going to fix you a little pizza. And uh, that's the kind of cheese that we're going to put on it. It's very simple. And it's using uh, tahini, just a little bit of tahini. That would be your oil part. And pimentos, uh, which you call capsicums. Um, water, nutritional fujis. Silken, uh, then the tofu, the silken tofu, lemon juice and salt, and that's all there is to this. And it's very easy. It's nice on baked potatoes. It's, we had it Sabbath for a spread. Everyone loved it at the table, and uh, and it's so easy to make. And this is all you're going to do. And uh, for some reason, I'm up here forgetting your name. And this is my friend Anne, and she's going to do this demonstration. So the first thing she's going to do is to put the, um, oh, I'm sorry. First thing she's going to do is to put the uh, water in the blender and with the tofu and just break the tofu a little bit. And um, by the way, uh, when we opened up, we said that we were going to have a dinner today. We're having the dinner tomorrow. Today, you're going to have a tasting. You're going to have, I'm going to have everything out here of what we're demonstrating. But um, uh, it's not going to be a full dinner because, um, see, uh, today was backed right up to Sabbath, and there was just no way that we could have a dinner prepared for you. But tomorrow we will have a dinner for you. Now, when you hear the blades in the blender just running free, it's because you have an air pocket in the bottom. You have to stop it and give it a little poke and kind of help it along, and it'll get that air pocket out of there, and then it'll blend again. And in the meantime, while she's got it stopped, let's go ahead and just put the rest of these ingredients in.
and blend it. Now the secret to these uh, are blending them a long time to where, or not a long time, but I mean enough to where they're smooth and you don't have little pieces of things in them. If you want that, especially uh, if you're coming off of cheese onto this and you want it to be as much like cheese as possible. Um, after you've done it some time and you've eaten it, and you don't mind if it has little pieces in it. Who did you say? Capsicum. Capsicum. Just go ahead and put everything else in through the top, and I just leave it blending while I put everything in. Now, cheese, some of our recipes, you might think, well, that sounds like a lot of salt. But listen. Uh, you know why you like cheese? You like the flavor of salt and oil together, if you're e eating cheese on the market. If I leave the salt out of this, you're not going to like it. You're going to say, oh, well, that cheese didn't taste very good. It didn't taste like cheese to me. So please, if you think I got too much salt in the recipe, Think about those poor people that are coming off of cheese, and I have to put the salt in my recipes, or, now if your doctor's told you not to use salt, I'm not telling you to go ahead and eat it, but don't make everybody else suffer just because you can't have salt. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> because, uh, you know, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to um, help everybody that uh, is eat, might, might be eating cheese, yes. I think we ought to let them know that these are basic recipes, and after they get home in their own laboratory, you can uh, alter some of these to, to, your, to fit your own use. If you like to have less salt, you can put less salt. If you want less honey, you can put less honey. But we try to make them palatable so everybody will like them, and then you can just take them from there yes. and start working with them. Oh, you do. You call red pepper. See, that's what we call it at home. And, but uh, I thought someone told me you call it capsicum here. Oh, okay. Okay, red pepper. But anyway, uh, some of these recipes, I like the red pepper, what they call pimento, which is red pepper also. But, uh, you know, in the little jars, little glass jars, because the, the coloring comes out better and it looks more real. This kind of turns out a little, that has a little pink tone to it. And... When it gets to this point, you just have to help it a little bit because it keeps getting some uh, blenders just keep getting an air pocket. For some reason, in these recipes, when you put your food yeast in, it thickens your recipe up and again, it's hard to run the blender. So you just stop it and try it again and then it will go. This is, uh, it's usually a, quite a fast recipe if you have those ingredients in your cupboard and 
somebody came over and you need a spread real quick, you can just put it in a blender and blend it up and serve it. I think that's good. It's just lemon free. blending up here uh, because everybody's blender is a little different and I tell you one time I was making what we call pina colada we had pe teenager night we always have one teenager night and we make uh, Big Macs which would be uh, take a place of a hamburger and uh, up something that would take a place of a milkshake and and I was making it and uh, I, I there was about 75 people in the audience and for some reason, you know, when you run a blender, if you're using frozen fruit, you must have the blades running when you put the frozen fruit in. You can't just put the, you know, when it's off, put the fruit in and then turn it on. And uh, so I slipped it in, and somehow it got out of that blender. It went up and came down on my head, down my face, <laughs> down in. Listen, I would have thought the whole audience would laugh. You could hear a pin drop. <laughs> I was so embarrassed, and I'm there trying to wipe it off, and it's sticky. I felt so awful. And um, so the next week after I got home, I thought, well, nobody laughed. If I was out there, I would have laughed. <laughs> so the next week when we, I, we came together again, I said, well, you know, what I noticed is that no one laughed when that happened to me. And they said, oh, we felt so sorry for you. We couldn't <laughs> laugh. <laughs> well, it's funny now, but it certainly wasn't funny. that. Well, there was one lady in the kitchen that laughed, and she laughed so hard that she... Because she said, Lee, I always knew that was going to happen to one of us someday, and I was so glad that it was too, and not me. I mean, if we told you some of the experiences that we've had right up in front of a large crowd, we could write but a it's, book on it. It's so much fun because, you know, we get endorphins, you know, and, uh, and God has a sense of humor. That's the thing, and he likes us to be happy and joyful, and so he gives us many things that we can laugh about. and uh, To be able to laugh at ourselves. That's <laughs> Well, this is interesting. <laughs> the, the recipe has just disappeared before our eyes here. Laser beam recipe. <laughs> yes, just take that to the kitchen. Okay, let's give Anne a hand. Thank you, Anne. Okay, now the next one uh, is Sarah. Oh, you're going to do another one. Okay. I'm going to save you for just something else. I'm going to have Sarah do Sarah, come and do this one. Um, you have, uh, in this book, all of the recipes are there with the exception of one, and that was the one we just did. So, let uh, this book. The leaves from the Tree of Life. In the, in, after each lesson are recipes that go with that section. And there's a whole uh, bunch of cheeses in here, different cheeses. Pardon me? Yeah, let me read it to you again. The one in the pimento cheese... It's uh, two tablespoons of tahini, one-third cup of um, red pepper or pimentos. I like the pimentos best. And uh, one-half cup of water. One and one-half tablespoon of nutritional fujis. And those of you, if you have candida, you can just leave it out, and it tastes just good without it. It just tastes 
a little more like cheese with it in. All of these recipes that have nutritional yeast, if you can't use it, just leave it out. And uh, 10 ounces of the silken tofu. And one and one half tablespoon of lemon juice. And three fourths teaspoon of salt. Now that's not too much salt for as much you saw how much sauce I had there and you're just gonna use a little bit of that, so. Um, this, did you get it all? Did everybody get it all? Do you need something? Um, one third cup. Okay. All right, the next one we're going to do is called jack cheese. And we're going to identify everything on the recipe here. Okay, this time we're going to use cashews. And it's two cups of clean cashews. Now, let me tell you something about cashews. Could I have your attention, please? It's hard to talk over uh, other people talking. Uh, cashews uh, come from a country where they have... Uh, you know, unsanitary conditions. And we used to tell them that they had to sterilize them. Now they come in tins and they're already sterilized, but you need to wash them because they are very dirty. And then dry them. Don't store them wet or they will mold. Overnight they will mold, so you want to dry them. You can either dry them in the sun or at a, in a warm oven. You don't want to turn the oven on or you turn the fat to a saturated fat. Any nuts, never put nuts over 200. Now 200 is, um, very low in our country. What is it here? 200 here would probably be around 370 or 80, I think. Awesome. Just barely, your oven is just barely on. So I don't know what, what it would be. If somebody knows those. Does anybody know how to convert them? You know? 392. Oh, okay. So you don't want to go over that or you make a saturated fat. So when you make almond butter, uh, don't ever go over that temperature, whatever he said it was. Uh, for these, just till they're dry. Yeah, you don't want to roast them. So you want raw, uh, raw cashews. And then you have uh, water. And this is the Ames gelatin that we're going to use. And we have garlic and lemon juice and yeast flakes and carrots this time for a little bit of color, hot water and onions and salt. Now, we're gonna have, we're, whenever you have a recipe that has water and nuts, you put those in and blend it till it's creamy. So that's the first step she's going to do. By the way, I, I love working with Sarah. I don't know if you all know who Sarah is, but she has been a student at Heartland and that's where uh, I work, where it's an institution uh, where you can go for pre uh, preventative or uh, learning how to reverse degenerative disease, and there's the nuts in next. And um, we have a college there on ground, and Sara is one of our college students there. And um, when I first went there, she's the, one of the first students that I worked with, and so it's always been a pleasure to work with her. So she's going to put that on and blend it. Yeah. Um, now what she did is she uh, put the cold water in and. Um, No, I don't think we need any more water, do we? Yeah, I understand. Let's put it all in. Okay, uh, what I was supposed to do is put a one cup of cold water with the Ames and let it set. We're going to skip that part because I forgot it. So put your Ames in right with it right now. And um, 
cheese, there is one recipe, the Alpine cheese in this one, is I think is one of my very favorite. And uh, what you do is put the Ames gelatin in the water and whiz it until it's nice and creamy. It almost looks like uh, meringue. And uh, then you put your other ingredients in. So this is just going to be a little different. You're not going to get to taste this one because it won't be set. If you're going to serve it, you want to make your cheese a day ahead. Step as high as it'll go. Okay, and then the next thing is at this point, I would just uh, take it off the sides of the blender because there's little pieces sticking up there that are not blended and you, want to, you don't want little lumps in your cheese. And then the, at this step, I would go ahead and put the onions and the garlic and the salt in and the carrots for color. And you know, um, Sarah also is a very good cook. I've tasted her food, and uh, it's good to let uh, young people come in the kitchen and learn how to cook at an early age. Um, I don't know how, how old she was when she started cooking, but she must have been quite young because she's a very good cook. Okay, now this is one of those blenders that you can't uh, run while you're, uh, put things in while you're running it. And we may have to run this a little more in the kitchen because I don't want to take up too much time here because of um, the carrots. It has to be run quite a bit. Um, yes, the lemon juice next has to be run quite a bit so that you don't have any little pieces of carrot. And um, you could see that cheese that I showed you, that carrot didn't make it very yellow at all. Now the next one, um, Maybe um, you could give me a little plate of crackers so that I could show them what we made. Uh, I like to show a little cracker, especially when we're serving cheeses and what have you, because those, all of those crackers are already rancid. You know, and rancid oil is very dangerous to eat. It's carcinogenic. And these... Uh, um, Crackers that I'm going to show you. Now, I don't know. What do you call crackers in your country? Crackers? But you call cookies a biscuit. Pardon me? For what? Tahini. Oh, it's sesame seeds, sesame butter. Mm -hmm. It's just. Okay. Can we take it in the kitchen? We're just going to go ahead and pour it in there. 
And um, anyway. This is, all it is is oats and salt and water and uh, sesame seeds. And it has a nice crispy, you know, and the thing is you have to leave them in the oven until all moisture is gone. If you don't, you won't like them. But if you leave it until all the moisture is gone, and they bake the best in a confection oven. But see how nice and smooth that turned out. Jennifer already washed her hands. I saw her. <laughs> okay, what she's going to do is she's going to put water and oats and salt in the blender. Now these are uh, sesame seeds that are unhauled, and uh, that's what we use. And these are the ones that are hauled. Now for looks, this is the one I use at home, and mainly because, again, everybody eats with their eyes. And you just blend that up, and you do it quickly because otherwise, it, no. Otherwise, if you put water and oats together, you know it turns kind of salt, uh, sticky. One cup of oats. This recipe is in the blue book. One cup of oats, one cup of water, one teaspoon of salt, and then your uh, seeds. Put it in and bake it and score it. Do you know what I mean by scoring? You take it out in about three minutes and make it into a shape or cracker you want. If you wait until the end, you won't be able to cut it. It'll just break up in pieces. That's good. Now your uh, cookie sheets or your biscuit sheets are very small compared to ours in America. So we're only going to use half of this recipe. And I mean, she's only going to pour half of it in there because um, otherwise it, wouldn't, it would be too thick and it wouldn't be a nice cracker consistency. So, and now I want you to notice, yeah, so it'll make two sheets. Put, yeah, put it in there, half on one side and one half on the other. Now you'll notice that I didn't oil that. I never oil any pan. And why people say oil the pans, you know over one year you're going to save yourself a lot of oil. Listen, where they got that idea, you know what makes food stick to the side of the dish? It's the oil. It fries there and then, then you got to scrub and scrub to get it off. But if you never use any oil, the stuff just lifts right out so easily. Is that the same for bread? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, that was a good question. Um, with bread, what we use is the paper. Um, what do you call the paper? Yeah. So, um, uh, but I do have pans to where mine will come out. It's just, I'm not going to tell you all bread will come out, but uh, I think in the metal ones they will, and the glass ones it's a little uh, harder to get it out. So then you just sprinkle these on top. You could also sprinkle ses um, sunflower seeds on top, but my husband really likes the sesame the best, so I almost always use sesame. Well, sesame seed, to see is a very uh, good source of calcium, and uh, that's why I like to eat the sesame seeds. Well, he likes the flavor, too. <laughs> Pardon me? Uh, this is an uh, oat cracker. 
All right, now the next thing that we're going to do is uh, Sarah's gonna come out and she's gonna assemble a pizza. And the reason I want to show you this is because, uh, you know, we're busy people and we like fast, tasty things. Isn't that right? I mean, you want it tasty and you want it fast, don't you? And uh, so she's going to show you if you purchase some pizza, pita bread, and you could either make your tomato sauce, or there are some in glass jars on the market that are uh, pizza sauce. And then you remember the cheese sauce that we just whizzed together? And then she has her vegetables, and she's just going to put it together with putting the pizza sauce first. Then you just pop it in the oven for 10 minutes, and you have a nice pizza. It is very tasty and uh, almost, I, I've never met anyone that didn't like this recipe. For the mix? We just did the cheese, the cheese that we're using. The, um, the tomato sauce is one that they, we purchased in a, a jar. And uh, the reason we did it this way is because we didn't really get here in time to make the sauce. But I want to show people who work that there is a way that you can have fast, tasty things. Uh, if you were a lady that worked and you, your children wanted some pizza, you don't have time to make the pizza dough. And so that's basically why I'm showing it to you this way. The next thing she's going to put is the cheese. She probably needed another spoon, so, but that's OK. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, it's a little thicker than, um, you know, so you just have to put dollops around. Um, and, mm -hmm. and maybe it was just a tiny bit too much sauce, but that's all right. That's what makes them taste really good. And, Yes, there is a pizza sauce in the, in the uh, book that I've been telling you about. Um, there's a wonderful ketchup recipe in there for those of you. Do you like ketchup here? You see, we all have different tastes. For me, the hardest thing to give up was mayonnaise. For my husband, the hardest thing for him to give up was milk. But I've met people that said ketchup was the hardest thing. Now, to me, I can't imagine why ketchup was hard because, you know, I never was really cared for ketchup. But some people really love it. Other people really love mustard. We do have a tasty recipe for mustard. Um, Has the base been baked before? Yes, yes, that's right, correct.